welcome back to another episode of A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries. Pretty excited about today's episode. Um, trying something different. It's not just me talking into a microphone. Uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing a really good friend of mine, Stina Marie, in this episode today. Um, and it's it turned out to be an hour and a half long, so take it in chunks maybe. But I really liked the discussion because it highlighted some changes in my life too about how you know Stina talks very openly about spiritual change and moral shift and thinking about you know what's okay and what's not okay in life and who she is and all these different pretty big questions in this hour and a half long interview and it really resonates with me um, being in my mid-30s you know knowing where I come from the experience I've had now and figuring out what who am I and who is all the other people that have tried to influence me. Anyways, I really like the episode. Hopefully you will too. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll get right into it. So I'm really excited about this. This is Michael Jeffries with the A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries podcast. And today we're going to try something a little bit different. <laughs> it's not just going to be me. It's going to be me and a guest. And our guest today is Stina Marie. And I'm going to be basically asking her anything I want to. Because before, just before we started recording this, I said... So I'm allowed to ask you anything I want. And what did you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this. Okay. <laughs> because, Stina, there's like a lot of things. I feel like we're going to run out of time before I run out of questions. Of course. So the really what I want to talk about is like how I've known you for like six or seven years, right? Yeah. Okay. So when I met you, this was my impression of Stina. Very vivacious full of life you know and very outspoken like in, in very talkative um and super interesting like you had good things to say um and really into um being a mom and being a wife and being you know those roles that you were when I met you mm -hmm. um and I still I mean and and like as your friend over the last six or seven years we've definitely like gone through transformations both of us and our families and our significant others and our kids and all that stuff and so the transformations are really what I want to focus on because like my upbringing is very conservative, fundamental, Christian, Americana mm -hmm. um, upbringing. And I want to set the stage for your upbringing, but I also want to just get it out there before we go there and say that you were, and this is okay, right? <laughs> you were, you, when we met... You had um, a husband and one child, and then you had another child yeah. since we've met. So two kids. And now you 
are recently divorced or in the process of divorcing. Yes. After having a polyamorous marriage. Yes. And have a serious boyfriend. Yes. And <laughs> that like, and you allowed me as your friend and several other friends, um, and now the whole world or whoever happens to stumble upon this to be a part of that. And I like my, my little Michael Jeffries grew up in Sturgis, Michigan, uh, was always told no sex outside of marriage. Um, you'll go to hell for anything like that. My mind like has blown up several times just thinking <laughs> about all this. And so I want to, I want to talk about that if you're yeah. cool with that. Yeah. I was, I love when you said it. I was interesting. I thought one of my greatest fears I've realized over my lifetime is being bored. Like I always have a journal or a book with me or something to do because I don't ever want to be bored. And I think I also, like, I don't want to be boring. So it's like... You're not boring, I always, <laughs> <laughs> I always want to be doing something different or, like, pushing limits, exploring my own boundaries, um, destroying social constructs in my own life. And not for the sake of rebelling or convincing anyone else that they should do what I'm doing, but just because it allows me to find the ways that I want to be more myself. So where am I kind of just acquiescing to what someone else wants or accepting something that's been handed to me that I've blindly taken on. So from my experience, a lot of people have that with religion and, you know, family constructs and patterns and those kinds of things. So did you have that getting into your, your, nuclear you know one man one woman kids house. oh yeah for sure i think i think man goes to people, work woman stays home yes blah, blah, blah. you have a home business of of doing sewing and things like that like yeah it's okay to have like a little side gig um it it's interesting growing up my family wasn't religious but there was always this religious tension between my parents because my dad grew up Baptist and my mom grew up Methodist. And even though we didn't go to church and that didn't seem really important to my family, if I came home from science class talking about evolution, all of a sudden my parents were like at each other about creationism versus evolution. And Let me guess, the Methodist <laughs> was an evolutionist and the Baptist was a creationist. Basically, that's yes. what it boiled down to. Yes. And okay. so I saw, I, still got it. I saw that. In my family, um, I saw that like my dad had more of a lean to want to go to church, but didn't. My mom was more bitter about the church. So oh, that so was like scarring or something. Yeah, and my like the only thing I knew was like God exists. We're good people, so I'll go to heaven. Like that was pretty much the equation. Um, but as I found like just the Midwest and like the Southwest of Michigan, especially. Whether people grew up in the church or not, they seem to carry a lot of those like moral standards that come with Christianity. So there's kind of like, even if you didn't grow up being taught that you shouldn't have sex before marriage, there's still a lot of sexual shame about that. And yeah, like the girl who gets pregnant in high school is there's like, we whisper about her yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So there's still a lot of that that's just like woven into our culture, I feel like, even though it's not like an overt taught in church to everyone 
thing. Okay. So I definitely grew up like you do not have sex before you're married. Like absolutely no sex before marriage. And that was, and I didn't. I mean, I was a virgin on my wedding night and so was my former spouse. So that um, shocks a lot of people. Like we got married when we were 19. So granted, it wasn't like we waited until we were, you know, 30 years old or something. But still, like that's today pretty rare for people to experience, even people that are part of the church, because the shame doesn't necessarily keep everyone from doing it. So, Mm. and I'm just the kind of person that, like when something seems really important, like I'm either going to go all in and do it with everything I have, or it's just absolutely not a priority for me. So... I was, like, the straight-A student. I never did anything wrong. I didn't break rules. Like, I don't have crazy stories of things that I did when I was a kid. It's like, I didn't really want to get hurt too bad. I didn't want to end up in the hospital. I didn't want to fail any classes. So I always was, like, performing in a way. So my journey was interesting. You kind of did what you told, were told. These are what a good person, a good girl, a good woman a good American would do, a good student, Yeah, do these things. And you were like, okay. Okay. Easy enough. Like, school was easy for me. Getting all A's was easy. I think because I understand systems so well. And, like, now that serves me really well in my work. Because I can see, like, the way things really work. And what's going on behind what people are saying. Mm. So when you can do that, you can succeed really easily. Because you learn how to play the school system. So if you know how to read a teacher and you know how to figure out what they want you to deliver them, then it's pretty easy to get an A. Um, I don't think that it's because I'm like especially genius at academia. I think it's because I know how to learn and I know how to learn people. Hmm. So, so it's, it's almost like you, you, because I really identified with this, like you put your own thoughts and creativity on a paper or whatever aside and gave the teacher what you knew they wanted. Yeah. And you it's, knew. you know, just kind of shaping yourself to be the model student. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of how I succeeded in school and then, and in other, you know, areas, I also would just kind of quit things that I wasn't good at or that were hard. So it's pretty easy to succeed when you only do things that are easy to succeed at. <laughs> Yeah. Which, in a way, serves me really well now to be like, well, this is what I'm talented at, what I'm e- what's easy for me to succeed at, and I enjoy, so I do more of that. But as a kid, like, I quit sports because I didn't want to run, and I just didn't do those things because it was so hard and challenging, and I wasn't as good as other kids, so I didn't get playtime and all of that, but... I don't necessarily regret that either. <laughs> like, it wasn't fun for you. Like, I don't enjoy sports. That's fine. Um, but then in high school, I actually, my junior year of high school, I dated a boy who was Jehovah's Witness. His family was Jehovah's Witness. And I just was curious about their faith because I knew that it's kind of a, like, I would call it maybe like a fringe um, sect of Christianity where there's like some things, I mean, everyone knows that they're like go around knock on doors and it's just kind of like, okay, so what's different about this? And the more that I asked questions, the more I was like, this doesn't really seem to add up to me. Like something doesn't feel right. And I felt really hypocritical to 
have a conversation with someone about their spirituality and say, I don't agree with you, you're wrong, but have nothing of my own to say this is what I do believe. And so I just Hmm. literally, like, it was a Friday afternoon, I broke up with him, I told him, um, I said, I love you, but you deserve someone who loves all of you, and I can't love that part of you. And that's such a a mature thing for a (laughs) junior in high school to say. This is what I hear when I tell this story. Um, Yeah, I was 16. And I just thought that's not fair to him that, you know, that's a part of him that I'm never going to understand. If the relationship went on, like I couldn't see myself raising kids with somebody that I was like vastly apparently different from. And so this boyfriend business was not like. For fun and for some attention. It you were on wa- the hunt. I mean, it was. It was just for fun. Like, he was a really fun guy. Like, he made me laugh. And he was kind of just one of those big teddy bear, like, sweethearts. And, like, I was his first kiss. Like, it was a sweet, innocent high school thing. But I guess I just always have my sights set on the future where it's like, where am I going? Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm doing right now, does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And... I guess even then I understood that relationships are a lot of time and energy to put in. So if I'm going to do it, I don't want to be in a relationship that's iffy or like just okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was on a Friday and the next Sunday I decided to go to church. Like I was just, I was like, well, this is what, what I need to do. I need to figure out what I believe. And that's where I thought that's how I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get a Bible and read it, and I'm going to figure this out. And so it was like a very, like, studious initiation to figuring out Like, the next time I have a boyfriend that I disagree with, I'm going to know what I believe. Essentially, yeah. And yeah. because I was not, I wasn't going to church with much background in, like, churchy-ness. Okay. <laughs> like, I get a Bible... And I read it, and I have my own thoughts about it, and my own interpretations of what's said, and just putting things together. And yeah, that, I later kind of yeah. find out, like, that makes you very heretical in most people's eyes. <laughs> if you weren't spoon-fed from the time you were a young person. Yeah, because, like, believe. I read things and thought, well, this is just common sense. And then I would encounter something, a teaching in a church, and be like, well, that doesn't add up, like. In the New Testament, it says that, um, like, it talks about spiritual gifts, right? So, like, prophecy, healing, um, speaking in tongues, like, the mystical spiritual gifts. And I remember reading, and I was like, well, if that's a gift from God, and these are all good things, I want them. Like, I want them all. So, I thought, well, if they're things that God wants to give, then I'll just pray for them. It seemed so simple to me. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, God, like, please give me the gift of prophecy. Please give me the gift of healing. And I felt that that happened for me in so many ways. And I still feel like those are gifts that I have, not necessarily in, like, a church setting, but as a person, those are things that I see in my life. So when I kind of encountered the, I guess I would call it like cynicism, of people like, oh, that doesn't really happen, or we just kind of ignore that passage, Hmm. or those are reserved for, like, the really special people, or they stopped at some mysterious time in history that no one can actually put a date on. 
I was just disappointed. I was like, well, that kind of lost its like magic. Mm. And I just felt like, what's the point in believing in this divine power that we kind of lock into fitting into what we can see and understand of the world? What's already been constructed. Yeah. Like by, that's just. By people who have gone before us. That doesn't, that's and not exciting. It's not expansive. It doesn't like. It doesn't do anything for me beyond what just being a human <laughs> in the world can do. So um, over the course of several years in the church, then I just found that the way that I saw spirituality just didn't fit in the box. And people were really afraid of different ideas that I had. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't seem to like edge my way into any sort of like leadership position or administrative position, which is frustrating because those are my gifts. Like just as a person, those are my talents. Mm -hmm. And usually when you become a part of a church, they're like, oh, come volunteer in the children's ministry or be a greeter. And I'm like, that's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me because while I understand they're important, it's not important to me personally. I can't muster up the... You don't feel the... loved when you are greeted by somebody. I don't... No, I don't feel loving when I'm greeting other people. Like, okay. I've done it, and I feel like I'm trying to do something instead of it... Like, there are people... Being would be... actually, like, you're happy yes, to see them. Yes, Thank you for coming. And, like, when somebody is, like, genuine and authentic yeah. and, like, knows everybody who walks in the door, knows the kids and smiles and shakes your hand and wants to hug you and, like, you feel it yeah. in every part of who they are. And I can be that, but it was just, like, that wasn't my role. I'm, like, you know, I wanted to be a part of the prayer team and I was told that I had to be a part of the church for a year before I could, like, pray for people and... So there just seemed to be all of these, like, roadblocks, and it was just really frustrating. Or, like, prove yourself kind of things. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all part of um, part of that journey. But it, it was just interesting that, like, I kind of entered the church of my own free will, and, and I actually got some backlash from specifically my mom about doing it. Like, she didn't like that I was going to church, hmm. which I later understood more of when I when I was hitting those roadblocks, when I was finding out that I couldn't really fit in, whether it was because I was a woman or not, it really felt like because I'm a woman, I'm not seen quite as equal as men because I'm, you know, more mystical. I'm seen as, you know, a heretic and like dangerous because I think differently. And or so, like, it wasn't like people like, this is what I would assume would happen. Is yeah. Like you say something assuming people want to talk about it and then it's more like a that is an interesting thought what do you think somebody else yes. kind of kind of response that's so true i remember us like let's i actually pretend remember that, that didn't happening. just get said yep it was at a bible study it was all women and i said you know they were asking these like reflective questions so i just shared what i like raw thoughts and i remember the leader just being like I've never thought of it that way before. <laughs> and I was like, this woman is like wondering where I came from, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just that that deterred me from continuing to engage because it kept me at like a surface level of hmm. friendships, relationships. And then adding to that, the you know, you mentioned like the man goes to work and the woman stays home. 
And so I grew up with my dad always working full time. My mom stayed home. She's very creative. She could start a hundred different businesses tomorrow if she wanted to. Um, she's a woodworker. She's her degree is in drafting, so she can. She blueprinted her dream house and built it after we had a house Dude. fire. You know. <laughs> no, I've met your mom. She's kind of a badass. Yeah, <laughs> she is, and she's got so many. You know, she's painted houses and built things for people. You know, whatever anybody needs It's like if you need it built or something done, like Trudy can probably figure it out. And so that's what I grew up with as an example was like a very industrious, like creative mom, but she didn't ever have a full-time job because being there for her kids and like making a home was always her priority. Hmm. And so that like worked really well for my parents. Like those were their roles. And my mom is not a quiet, submissive, sweet little woman, like, she has plenty of opinions, and, you know, she's she's basically me, older. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, I grew up with a strong female in my life and still playing those, like, more traditional roles. So it's kind of like a little bit of... A little bit of tradition and then a little bit of something different. Mm -hmm. And growing up, though, I also saw that my parents always put my sister and I first and didn't follow their own dreams and didn't, Mm -hmm. like, change their lives. And it wasn't until, I think, three years ago that my dad changed his job, his career, and he had worked at the same place since he was 16. So it was... 40 years with the same company. Um, And that just doesn't happen anymore. But, you know, he's changed his job. And it's just been really interesting, like, growing or, like, growing into my adulthood and thinking I want to, I want my kids to know that they can do anything, but I want to show them. Like, I want to do it so they can see me doing it. Where with my parents, like, it was all... Like, they were at every award ceremony, every sports game, every performance, anything. They were completely supportive, wanted me to know that I could do anything, um, and totally supported me, but I didn't see them supporting themselves. Hmm. And so that's something that's been really important to me as I make decisions in my life, whether it's about relationships, career, friendships, like any area that I want my kids to actually see me live my life in the way that I would want them to grow up and live theirs. So, so if I'm hearing you right, you're the model from your parents, um, was one of sacrifice that I'm going to deny myself as a parent the things that will bring me joy and satisfaction and fulfillment as a person so that I can provide a wonderful home and, uh, you know, uh, like stability. Yeah. Place for these children to grow and become who they are supposed to be. And they absolutely did. Like they loved my sister and I so much. And I'm so fortunate to have, not only parents that were loving, but my extended family all got together for 
you know, good Christmases and I felt loved by my grandparents. I was never like abused or experienced any like sexual trauma in my childhood. And knowing now what I know about the general population, that's so rare. Mm -hmm. And so I take it seriously to have that like emotional privilege to say this hasn't happened to me. And so I've of course had enough experiences in my life otherwise that I can relate to people's trauma but without that I think I have a responsibility to also do something with that like I did have a good childhood sure there were things that were messed up of course everyone makes mistakes there's things that I saw my parents do or choose that I thought wasn't the best idea or could have been done better but I think that's just being a human and um And so I think that, you know, growing up, like having that tradition, like that traditional foundation, like I wanted to do something different. But then what's also like ironic in a way is that I got married really young at 19. I had my first child at 21, my second child just a couple years after that. And I was pretty convinced in that process that I was just going to have as many babies as God wanted to give me and be like a stay at home mom to a bajillion children. Like that's what it felt like. That's just my calling in life. And that's what I'm going to do. And yeah, when I met you, you didn't seem like you were sacrificing or unhappy with your life. You seemed like a very fulfilled, like, yeah. And it's, you know, whatever I do, I do well. That's just, I've, that's I who can, I am. I so that. it's like, if I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, I'm like, I'm going to be the best mom. I'm going to be the best cook. I'm going to be the best housekeeper. Like, I'm just going to do it all to the best of my ability. And so that's, you know, I, I can apply that no matter what I'm doing. Uh, and I there's a combination of, like, layers of things, I think, in hindsight, I can see now that were happening in my life where... You know, I decided in high so in high school I wanted to go to art school and be a fashion designer. Okay. And that was, you know, I mean I was go that was the plan. I was accepted to the school. It was like set up to go. And in my senior year I decided I don't want to go. I don't want to move to Chicago. I don't know anyone there. I want to be by my family. It's going to be too much debt to take on for an art degree. And so I just I thought I'll stay in in town. I'll get a business degree so I can run my own business, which now I think is hilarious because business school teaches you how to work for other people and manage people. It doesn't teach you how to run a business at all. Basically, it was a lot of classes that reinforced the concept that you need to make sure that revenue is higher than cost. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember a lot of I remember a lot of ethics classes where they would be like what would you do in this situation I'm like quit (laughs) they're like that's not an option and I was like uh in the real world that is always an option and I will always choose that if I feel my ethics are compromised I'm not going to continue to work at a job where I'm being asked to do clearly unethical things and so yeah it all felt like a it kind of felt like playing house you know and and like it just didn't it didn't work well. So I ended up um, switching to accounting as a major because then my logic was, well, it's basically the same classes. 
at least I'll have a marketable degree if I ever need to go get a job. Sure. Transferable um, skill. Which then thing. I didn't even finish my associates. I was one class short of my associates when I quit, which I think was just like a big middle finger to the whole the, establishment yeah. of college. And did you quit because of the baby or did I you quit, quit because you were like, I'm just done with this? Uh, you know, it all happened like right around the same time. I know that I had like a really intense desire to start a family and... I think I also was like, I could test out of the last class. So I was like, I'll test out of the last class, the last class, get my degree, at least my associates and just call it a day because I'm never going to be a CPA. Like I didn't want to be, when you get to a bachelor's degree, if you're not a CPA, it's kind of pointless um, career wise. And a CPA is just a glorified lawyer. And I was like, or not glorified, but, you know, an accounting lawyer. Right. And I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to keep up on all of that. Like, no, thank you. So it was a combination of all of these things that just didn't feel right. And so I quit. And it wasn't long after that that I got pregnant and then, like, missed the test because I was pregnant and then put it off and still didn't. It was just like, didn't do it, didn't do it. Yeah. And I actually didn't tell my parents that I didn't finish my degree until probably let's see like six years ago maybe five or six years ago so like there was a a significant amount of time yeah where I was like afraid to tell them I thought they're gonna be so disappointed they're Mm -hmm. gonna feel like I failed them um and they were like really didn't care at all (laughs) and um yeah so so that was like my the college journey and like the early marriage. Can we cycle part. back for yeah, a minute? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole fashion degree, going to Chicago, uh-huh. all that stuff, is that something you regret now or, or are you like, yeah, that was the right decision? So I've asked myself, I've confronted myself with the question, do you still want to go do it? Okay. I like because that. Because I way, thought. I, I like that. Way better than regret. Yeah, because I thought, okay, like, this is kind of how I, like, coach myself, right? Is I'll, I've, I'm in this, like, regret, wondering what if, mm-hmm. that kind of feeling. And we all have those things where you're like, we what do. if I would have? Or what if I wouldn't have? Mm-hmm. And so you think about it, you think about it, you think about it. And I was like, Stina, do you want to do it or not? And when I really considered, like, what I know that it takes to have a career in design and what that would mean doing in my life. Like just the purely from season to season, what it takes to have a clothing line. I mean, I've read enough books. I've educated myself enough in the past to know what that's like. And I was like, I don't really want to do it. (laughs) Like, It doesn't sound fun to me. It doesn't feel like what I really am wanting to invest my entire life into sure and you have too many other interests that are too important to you to choose one to choose that thing and so i was like okay i don't want to do it but then what is it that's sort of still there like what's the desire there Mm -hmm. and anybody that knows me wouldn't find this shocking and it's probably only been within the last few months that i've like deeply like recognized and then admitted to myself I wanted the fame I wanted to be famous for my creativity 
I wanted people to know me for something that I had like generated from nothing. You know, that's essentially what you're doing, whatever kind of art you're creating in the world. And I was like, I wanted that feeling. I wanted to be able to like design things and, and be like a visionary. I wanted to be able to inspire people and make people feel a certain way when they put my clothes on and, and all that. And so Mm -hmm. it's interesting because now with the work I'm doing, like I'm essentially chasing the same dream that I had then. It's just not in the same format. And so I would say that there's definitely been many, 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 many times that I've regretted it and been like, that was the chance that I had, you know, before I had kids because dragging kids to Chicago to go to school, like all of that was, gets completely overwhelming. (laughs) It's way easier to do things when you're unmarried without kids and can just take off, move to a new city and eat ramen all week if you have to. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a place where, okay, there's things that have to be taken care of. And so my decisions are also informed by adulthood Mm -hmm. and motherhood. And, but now that's also who I am. And so I wouldn't be who I am or where I am today without those experiences. And I, like, I know that because I look back at pictures and I go, who's that? Like, I remember her, but how that was a different life. Cool. Yeah. I like that. I, I like how you said, you know, you confronted yourself like, okay, we're not doing this whole what if, what if, what if anymore. Mm -hmm. I can do it if I want to. Do I want to do it? And I mean, it's such a much more empowering, practical confrontation with yourself Mm -hmm. because it's, because then you can say, I'm not doing it or I am doing it for these reasons or for these reasons. Mm -hmm. And then you can even identify like, would I consider at some point in the future, you know, changing this decision? Yeah. I mean, and I think like you already have said regarding your your business degree, like there are skills you could learn in design school that you don't have to go to the school for. And then you make your clothes. And mm-hmm. I mean, it happens all the time, right? People who don't go to school somehow make great art still. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's part of why I didn't want to go because I was like $100,000 in debt and I'm already an artist. So it was vague to me, like, what are they really going to teach me and how is it really going to get me a legitimate career as a designer? Hmm. And I mean, we're talking about 12 years ago. So like where we're at with technology and what's possible online now I mean, you can go and within 10 minutes open up a store online and design Mm t-shirts, you know, and there's so many like new and innovative ways that you can express your art that are really freaking easy to do. And that wasn't even remotely available then. So it's also looking at, well, okay, maybe I don't want to go back to school and like make that my career, but maybe there are other fun ways that I can do that maybe it does or doesn't become a part of my bigger you know brand but hmm. cool yeah okay okay so let's transition now sure so we've got the kind of foundation of you know who stina is and 
your former partner's not being interviewed, but can we just agree, you know, that he doesn't come from some polyamorous family background either. Like he comes from a pretty conservative, normal, yeah. Christian, <laughs> you know, social conservative, yep. abortion's bad, gay marriage is bad, gambling is bad, church is good, the Bible's good, Jesus is good, other religions are deceitful, that kind of a background. I would say that's, yeah, okay. generalized, but for the most part, yeah. Sure, so Similar sure. to what you've I'm, experienced, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. kind of describing myself, because yeah. I see a lot of myself in that background. For sure. Um, okay, yes. so... So you're in this marriage, you've got two kids, uh-huh. and your kids are like like past diapers. Yes. So you're past the pressure cooker, like... <laughs> pressure cooker parenting. <laughs> oh my goodness. We're going to die. <laughs> I have no time to do anything. I don't sleep. And... You're, you're like the kids true. poop and pee on the toilet. Yes. They get up at night, but they go to bed. They can feed themselves. Yeah. Like there's some semblance of there are people who live here. Yeah. Um, so you're there, uh-huh. right? And there's been no infidelity or anything like that. And then like. What like, hey, I've been thinking I just want to have sex with other people or what? Like, what, what happened? Oh, that's hilarious. Um, like, were you still? because yeah, so, we we did a whole like religious foundational part of this interview right. first, and it seemed like because you went all into that, it seemed like that was a big part of this. So, like, had you already like cut ties with? We had kind of edged Christianity our way, or like, where yeah, we, where we kinda, were you at? We edged our way out of Christianity, and okay. it kind of was a slow. It wasn't like development. a get out of my face, fuck you kind of thing. But it was like, a, this is just not doing anything It was like, me. try different churches, not go for a while, find one that worked, finally go for a while. Then, like, they just randomly removed the pastor from the church one day. Like, I mean, like, fired him, basically. Um, which only left me more jaded with the way that, like, the hierarchy worked and everything. Hmm. Um but it was just kind of, I would call it like disillusionment with the church where you're kind of like, oh, like this isn't really what I thought it was. Um, I feel like I had more like dissonance with the church than my partner did. Um, and I think that like he was, I would say curious and supportive like along with me, but I seemed to be the one that was like ordering the tarot cards and crystals. <laughs> Okay, so you were you know, disillusioned like, to the point where you were going, like, witchcraft I was, type stuff. I was, like... Of how they would... I mean, how a conservative Christian would define oh, for tarot sure. cards and for crystals. sure. Um, and I was... So what happened in that also was I started a business. And it was just a blog. And, like, I was like, I want to help moms. And I want to help women think differently. That was, like, what it always came down to. I want to help women think differently. Hmm. And my first website was called Provocative Mama. And it was really about, like, provoking thought. Like, that was my goal. And it was, 
you know, different kind not of make spins money, on not, no, not no, 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 sell no. anything. No. Just like get people <laughs> to break out of the box. Yeah, and and then I got exposed to like the coaching world online, and I started to do some coaching for moms. And it was I was still a stay at home mom then, so it was just kind of a hobby business. Okay. Um, but I was then exposed to all this whole new world that wasn't just Michigan, but the online coaching world was women all over the the planet Mm -hmm. and so tons of different spiritualities and backgrounds and relationship styles and you know you name it and it was present and so I just and they were mentoring or friendships that you formed friendships and um lots of like Facebook group you know chatting and so it was really like starting to explore my intuition which like is a pretty you know most people can find the word intuition palatable at least like yeah. you say you have an intuitive nudge about something or like i feel you know gut. yeah um so that's not too scary but it's kind of just a slippery slope from there <laughs> like let's be honest <laughs> okay in my all world it was out like, there don't was go like, with your gut feeling intu- if you're not ready to go all the way <laughs> uh, to tarot cards and crystals or for wherever me it was like intuition which was you know ex- <laughs> opened me up to all of these like tools and things and I think of things in a pretty scientific and analytical way so when you think about like the scientific method the way that you analyze something is you start here here's what I think is going to happen I experiment with this and then these are my results like that's essentially what goes on in the scientific method so when you approach tarot cards and crystals it was like okay here's the thing what Here's what people tell me is going to happen. I'm going to be, like, struck down dead by God as soon as they arrive from Amazon. Okay. And then there's what I think is going to happen. Okay. And, like, what other people are telling me positively may happen. Okay. And so it's like, let's do an experiment. Like, let's see what happens. And... You started eating the forbidden fruit. (laughs) I did. And it was like, God didn't strike me dead. I wasn't led astray by demons. Like, there was no remarkable, you know, there was no remarkable evil about it. And I always approached it with this kind of open, innocent curiosity that I believe served me because I wasn't superstitious about it. I wasn't like, I need to protect myself and I need to... Because there's also, I run into a lot in kind of those spiritual communities where people who aren't Christian, then they're like, you have to cleanse your crystals a certain way so that they don't carry bad energy. And you have to like protect yourself. If you're going to use tarot cards or a, a pendulum or whatever thing, you have to protect yourself and, and state your intention clearly so that nothing bad can like come into the experience. I just always felt like that's a, a lot of work. And that... Okay. Even in acknowledging that. So you felt dissonance on the other side, too. Yeah, it was like, We're taking this a little too seriously, people. Come on. And, like, I think that's just my personality. Like, I want things to be fun and light, even when they're really dark and serious. Because I've had immense grief in my life. And I've had really deep struggles, specifically around, like, birth and motherhood and nursing and miscarriage. And Hmm. I've had those experiences. And it's like... It never serves me to just like wallow in the darkness of those things. And I think that what connects us as humans is story and humor. And if you can't 
laugh and you can't have humor and you can't take things lightly, life gets heavy really fucking quickly. Hmm. And so when I encounter people that are so serious about spirituality and so uptight about how things need to be done, it's like it ruins the fun of it for me. And I think that kind of goes back to my comment about spiritual gifts where I was like, I want all the spiritual gifts. Those sound amazing. Like, bring it. And then I find out people are like, oh, those don't really happen. I'm like, what? So then I find people that think these things really happen, but are very like pretentious and serious and suspicious about them. And so that didn't really work super well for me either. So now I'm in this like weird middle ground mix of all of the things. And have sort of my own approach to spirituality and um if I had to put a label on it which this is like it's a label that you almost can't use as a label I would say I'm more Buddhist than anything if I had to categorize myself not because I like have devoutly studied Buddhism but because when I read and and like understand Buddhism and Zen I'm like oh yeah, that's, that's, that's how I think. (laughs) So it's just like an identification with that kind of like life is life. What is, is, and Mm. it's just a, it's a simplicity and it's an innocence and it's an enjoyment of just being human. The purpose of life is to be. Yeah. Like, Hey, I'm a human. I've got this like skin suit and like, Hey, you are too. Like, want to play? This will be fun. Like, why not? And it's just has that that like awe about it and also like an a mundane awe where you're kind of like everything is amazing but also like nothing is unique or special because everything just is so it's like a really interesting dynamic and that's very much just the way that I see the world and like think that things are just common sense and everybody knows that right and it's not but Um, yeah, so, so all of that was to say that was kind of how I got exposed was starting my business. That's how I got exposed to other spiritual ideas and practices. And I just was exploring it like, okay, well, let's see how this works and what's this like. And Mm -hmm. there were things that I, that I like kept and there are things that I had no interest in. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was okay. Um, people in extended family, uh, friends didn't agree, you know, it didn't work out so well for them. So then like the dissonance for them was like, they could no longer see me as a Christian, which meant in their mind, like I, they couldn't have a relationship with me because I'm not following God and I'm not, you know, checking the right boxes for them to relate to me. Okay. Um, so all of that was happening in that like so kind of like ostracized early mother yes like I you would are say ostracized now the community is gone yes yeah so there's like this I isolation have been, I have been told that my experiments make me an other yes and so either I have to choose between the community or what I feel like is who I am, mm-hmm. which is to play and to experiment and to investigate. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Very much. That's that's an intense place to be. Yeah. And, you know, so there was, like, that spiritual 
awakening or enlightening or opening, you know, whatever was happening then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like phase two, right? Because my whole journey started because I was like, I'm going to figure out what I believe. So I'm going to read the book. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to figure this out. I'm like, it's hilarious because that's just what I kept doing. Like, I want an answer. I'm going to go figure it out. Like, I'm going to try the things. I'm going to, you know, try to work the puzzle and see what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so there was, like, that going on. It was, let's see, my daughter was about a year old, and she's six now. So we're talking about five, that five to six years ago mark was really, like, being out of the church, not really having a spiritual community or foundation, um, you know, we're still only five or six years into marriage at this point. So still relatively, relatively, you know, new in, in that and had a one-year-old and a three-year-old then. That was an intense place to be. So that yeah, was big. that was like little kids yeah. and all of that. So yeah. So then four or five years ago, Like, then my business gets a little bit, I'm doing a little bit more in my business, a little bit more coaching. Um, And then as as I'm coaching, I'm kind of going more into relationships, communication, and sexuality, where the the focus is of my work. Okay. Not just provocating, provocateuring. Not just provocateuring. (laughs) But now let's... Focus in on those those core... Blocks that many people have. Communication, sexuality... Um, what was the other one? Relationships. Relationships. Which really all always boils down to communication. Everything that I do is about communication. I've got it's a book recommendation for undoubtable. you. Undoubtable. Um, so, yeah, so I was focusing in on those things, which then it brought me into the world of, like, other people that were sex and relationship coaches. Okay. So now I'm connecting with people that are, this is kind of where, you know, open relationships, polyamory, like, that, as well as my former spouse, was going to school for uh, naturopathy. Okay. And so he was starting to connect with people who were also in, like, alternative lifestyles, alternative health. And not that these things are ever synonymous. I don't ever want to make it sound like people that do these yeah. things have open relationships. But, right. you know, you just start to step out of your little bubble of a world and right. be exposed to different the FDA ideas. The food pyramid all of them would agree is, eh. and then <laughs> yeah. the sexuality thing maybe maybe not. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so there was um, there was a book that uh, my former spouse found. It's called Sex at Dawn, and apparently it's a fabulous book. I still haven't been able to finish it, um, but he read it, loved the book, shared it with me, and every time I would pick up the book. I think I was actually listening to it on audio. So every time I would listen to the book, I'd get like a few minutes in and I would just have this like overwhelming panic. I just couldn't handle it. Hmm. And the book is sort of an anthropological look on the question, is monogamy like biologically normal for humans? So it's not really a religious book. It's not really attached to anything. Or even Um, science, maybe. It's just, like, anecdotal. Let's look at I mean, they bring in, like, studies. It's anthropological, so they're looking at, like, tribal cultures Mm -hmm. and human history and and those types of things. So so I just couldn't read the book. And it was because, for me, reading the book, I just always would think of, 
my partner wanting someone else. So his recommendation of this book was like, oh, he wants me to I think be okay was, with this. I think he was clear with me that that wasn't why he okay. was reading it. It was just like a, out of curiosity. Um, but it's also kind of undeniable that that would it would feel that way, right? Like just to most humans, like if your partner hands you a book about open relationships, on some subconscious level, there's that feeling or that fear of like, oh, they want to change something. Uh, at least that's how I would feel as a woman. So no, yeah, um, I, I can totally see that, especially if that is a an insecurity. Like, sure, if I'm not enough. Well, or if I hand you a book that's like, here's how to change your diet in 30 days. Like, I'm probably like. I'm probably suggesting something to you by giving you the book, I right? I pay more attention to the books people give me. <laughs> okay. Supplemental messages through book recommendations. So, <laughs> um, so I just didn't ever finish the book. I think I got through maybe a chapter. Okay. Um, and was like, I just couldn't handle it. And I was perfectly okay with admitting, like, I can't cognitively handle processing this information right now. Like, it's too much for me. Um, and I just had a lot of fear and insecurity about it. And I felt like it spun me off into the realm of like, I'm not enough. My partner wants someone else. Like, okay. and so that was just, that was my experience of that book. And that kind of happened now. It's probably almost four years ago. Um, so there was a long lapse of time after that book that we decided to have an open relationship. So it wasn't necessarily like, read the book and then this happened um Clearly but not. i like you to... didn't read the book i mean you got into yeah, it and was yes, like this is true this is not me this is true um but i think it's important to like highlight that i didn't wake up one day and say i think this is a good idea there's kind of a gradual exposure to ideas that you have to warm up to or get familiar with or understand sure. it's kind of like being exposed to any other culture you know culture shock you get flown over to another country and dropped in, you know, France or something. And you're like, oh, I'm not in America anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like, um, but if you like read travel books beforehand and watch YouTube videos and you can get some exposure to it. Now this is happening. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I knew about that or, oh, that is familiar. So. Or the next time you walk down that street and you see that weird thing, you're like, Oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Right. And it's just basically desensitizing. Like, you know, we get desensitized to things and it's not always a bad thing. Like, you're desensitized to things in your home. Like, you don't walk into your dining room and get agitated about the table because the table doesn't belong there and why is there a table there? Right. Like, you're desensitized to the table being there because you have a sense that it belongs there and that you've walked by it a thousand times and that's just where the table is. Right. And, and our brains need to be able to focus on whatever the real things are that <laughs> exactly. you They can't be focusing on everything all the exactly. time. Exactly. So that's kind of how culture works, too, is we grow up with a certain paradigm. Sure. And we're desensitized to certain predispositions, judgments, beliefs, thoughts, ideas, habits, mm-hmm. all of it. And so mm-hmm. then when something challenges that... You kind of have to, like, wean yourself off of all of those things that you were taught and open your mind to maybe there's another way. So that took a long time for me and eventually, like, connected with specifically, like, people who were doing polyamory and open relationships intentionally. And so it was, like, another layer of kind of educating yourself. And you realize, like, these people aren't freaks of nature 
they really aren't people that just want to go around and fuck everyone. Like, there's some pretty strong judgments that people have about open relationships and polyamory. And I believe that you can do open relationships and polyamory just as bad as monogamy. So if we, like, look at just the divorce rate alone and say, you know, half of all marriages will fail, but then we're going to use monogamy as a gold standard of relationships and shame anyone who wants to do it differently. Mm -hmm. I don't think that 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 doesn't pan out logically. It's not as black and white as as, as that. Exactly. So it's like you... I think that as a as an individual, you can be good at relationships or you can be bad at relationships. And so and you can be better at relationships with certain types of people than others. And mm-hmm. it's just that's just being being a person. Okay. Um, and I think that the style of relationship that you choose is a choice. And it's much easier to make the choice to be monogamous in a culture that is designed around monogamy. Mm-hmm. Just like it's easier to be straight because we have a culture that's been operating with straight couples getting married and having kids right. for a long time. So it's, you know, it's just recognizing that we're predisposed to certain choices, but that we're still making those decisions. And you know, we live in a country where we actually can make other decisions. Like, we're not going to get arrested for doing certain things and having certain freedoms. So that's really fortunate. Um, but essentially, like, I actually started to develop, like, this curiosity about my response to attention from men. And it wasn't, it was really nothing earth-shattering. It was like a barista I would have a moment where I was like, oh my God, I think he was flirting with me. And it like made me like panic. Like I was so uncomfortable with receiving like the slightest. It was just like a kind So you were just oblivious to any of that before. Completely. And then all of a sudden the scales are off your eyes. And like you're seeing men. I guess. I have an interest in you. I have no idea. Like I don't know what happened. Because. So so this was kind of like a, a switch. It was jarring was, to me. was flipped. Like one little exchange at, in a coffee shop and I'm like, oh my God, like what is happening? Like I'm like nervous and like I can feel myself blushing and oh. and we're talking a very tame exchange with the barista. Like he probably treats everyone with that level of, you know, friendliness. And I have this like reaction to it. And so... That I just that's marked in my mind as kind of a moment where I was like, why did I like that? And, you know, just starting to kind of dig into that whole experience. And you asked if I was oblivious. And I do think that that's a huge part of it, because apparently, as I've been told by people that have dated and also like my current partner, like he's like, you're really attractive. I'm like, I didn't know that. Like, it's hard to explain. Like, no, I went through high school. I went through adulthood not actually understanding that, like, my appearance was any particular, like, advantage or power that I had. Mm. And I didn't realize that men found me attractive. Uh, If I've ever been hit on, I don't know. Like, just completely out of the loop. And 
so the, that experience like jarred me from that, you know, like where it was like, oh, it seemed like someone noticed me and granted, like I'd been a stay at home mom for so long too. So I'm almost like sheltered in this world of just like mom mode. Mm -hmm. And so you're not really thinking about or noticing people in that way. Right. Um, You're busy keeping people, little kids alive. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're out in public, like you're looking at them, you're not looking at anyone else. And if you have screaming (laughs) children, like probably no one is checking you out. Like, (laughs) which honestly, like was really sad to me. I'm a person that like eye contact is such a thing for me. And I love just anywhere that I'm at, like to make eye contact and acknowledge people's existence because Mm. we go around just so hunkered into our own world and it's like we just forget that something as simple as eye contact and a smile to a woman that's locked in a house with kids all day through every winter storm of the you know 12 months of winter in Michigan like (laughs) it's like so isolating and so I would go to the grocery store and feel like no one would just acknowledge me And now I'm like, I don't know if it's because I'm intimidating. I don't know if it's because I am attractive. I don't know if it's because I have kids. I don't know if it's because I'm a woman. Like, I don't know why. Um, Or if men just fear giving attention to women now because there's such a, a strong, like, political movement about sexual harassment and, you know, all of those things, too. So there's so many, so many layers and what ifs to it. But that was really a turning point for me was experiencing that. And um, I wrote about in my book, actually, an exchange, which is funny to also read in hindsight now with where I've ended up. But there, I was sitting in Starbucks one day and every table was full. And there was I was sitting at a four-top table by myself. And this guy walked in with a briefcase on his phone. I could tell he was looking for a spot. And I just said, oh, you, you know, feel free to sit here um, if you need to. And so he set up, we were both working for a few hours, like no contact at all. And all of a sudden he strikes up a conversation with me and he's telling, you know, or like he's asking me about my work and he's telling me about his, he's in town from Kansas city, blah, blah, blah. And I'm again, oblivious to the fact that he's saying like, you have really pretty eyes and you know, da, 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 da. And then he ends up asking me out for a drink knowing that I'm married and I'm like, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. I'm going to go, not going to go have a drink with you. I'm married. I didn't work on a relationship for nine years to throw it away on some random guy at Starbucks. And like, when he asked me if I wanted to go to a drink, my literal first thought was we're already at Starbucks. Like if I wanted, (laughs) (laughs) if I wanted to drink, I could just go get another one, you know, try some other arbitrary (laughs) thing. How about some, how about some caramels to quote, uh, goodwill hunting anyway so yeah so uh you know so there were like these experiences that were adding up in my life of being confronted with receiving this attention and I was discussing them all with my former spouse and telling him how I was feeling and he was kind of unfazed by it like not threatened um which I think is healthy in a way because you don't really want a partner that's threatened and insecure every time that you have any interaction with the opposite sex, like that doesn't feel good. Um, But I think that there was also an element for me where I was like, but I'm, there's something about this attention that I'm not really getting or fulfilling in our relationship. And so 
I'm like, I don't know how to make a long story short because it is just a very long and complicated story. But essentially what happened was I started to develop interest in um, somebody that worked at the grocery store. Like, shocker, because that was going out for me then. <laughs> um, and he he and I ended up like having a date and ended whoa, up whoa, turning whoa. into a relationship. Wait, before that, before that. What before that? You and your former partner yes. are just having different conversations. You're explaining these feelings. He's yes. like, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. And he's and when is the point where it's like, is it him or is it you that's like, do you say, I think I want to go on a date with some of these guys? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Or is it like, do you want to go on a date with some of these guys? And you're like, yeah, I think I do. Like, uh, who was the, who said, who, I was where, like, did it, where was that, where did that come from? What was so that there moment? was like this, you know, like the flirty interest with this guy. And then I was like, um, I was like, well, I think that I had gone to the grocery store with my book editor and one of my closest friends and on my birthday when I was publishing the book. So she is like a walking, talking billboard for me. She's like, oh, my God, Stina's writing your book. It's her birthday. Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, and. You know, so he knew enough about me that when he saw me again later, um, was kind of like, oh, you're the woman that wrote the book, you know? And so then that started a conversation. I had a copy of my book in my car. I run it back in. I'm like, here you go. Like, because I was talking to him and another cashier. And so just like, here you go. You guys can fight over it. Like, you know, just really casually drop my book with a giant golden womb on the front of it in the... <laughs> on the counter it's a and very artistic womb it is thank you um and so that you know the next time i saw him then it's like hey you've been you know done any reading and we had a conversation we should have coffee sometime um and like talk about it and so then it was just like coffee turned into a date i still want to know i know but I it was it's know. so vague because it's like really the conversations just kept happening between my partner and I, where I was like, well, what if this? Well, what if this? And I pushed the line all the way. Like, okay. well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? And he was well, like, what if this happens? Yeah, what if it happens? And, yeah, I mean, decent impression. You know him, so okay. <laughs> you can also Dude, imagine it. I, I have a lot of respect So there for was yeah. that, but then there was also, I mean, that's also not to downplay, like, the intense... So it was all emotion that comes yeah. with like the reality of my wife is going to potentially be in bed with another yep. man. Totally get all that. But what I'm trying to get at is the all the pushing was coming from you. You were pushing to find where his boundary was yes. and all these questions. And he wasn't pushing you to say, Well, I want to go hang out with this other grocery store cashier. And no, it was, I was exploring it. I was yeah. going, where, like, and he was what responding. can I do? And he was responding. And saying, and... I don't know about that boundary. I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't yeah. know. And so okay. we just kind of. That answers my question. It felt like, you know, like walking with a flashlight where you can only see so far in front of you. Totally. And I you're love just that. kind of like. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Like, well, we'll take the next step and see what happens. Hopefully it's not a cliff. So like, basically you pushed him to the point where it was like. What if what if we have the most passionate, crazy, you know, crazy sex in the world? And your partner was like, yeah, what if? And so then it was like, well, okay, then I'm going to ask him out on a date. And all we're going to do on that is have a date. And he's like, <laughs> okay, like that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. And, I and love just, that. Like, that's, running that's all the scenarios of where this would go and how it would look and what, yeah. you know, did me dating mean he was going to date and how would that look and did we want, like, because there's also all of these different kind of formats, I guess, of open relationships and polyamory. So mm-hmm. yep. some people have a primary relationship and then they have, like, a secondary, like, side relationship <laughs> almost where it's, like, it's very clear what their priorities are, who they spend more time with, who gets the priority of time, attention, energy, and all of that. Right, right. Some people have what they call kitchen table polyamory, which is like there's multiple relationships and everyone could literally sit around the kitchen table and have a conversation without any problem. Some people are like, don't ask, don't tell. Okay. You know, you do your thing, I'll do mine. I don't want to know about what you do. You don't want to know about what I do. Um, And then there's just every variation that you can imagine. There's some people that have, like, an inclusive relationship where all three people are in a relationship together. Um, And, and like, the relationships and the sexual part of it are, like, they just layer in so many different capacities. So the thing that was most... Polyamory is not black and white. Like no, one man, one woman. Not at all. And okay. And, you know, the thing that I like to tell people, too, is monogamy isn't as black and white as you think either. Because ask, if you take five married couples and line them up and say, what does marriage mean to you? Totally. I what love are that. your What are your expectations? <laughs> what type of emotional support do you expect from your spouse? Do you feel satisfied? Do, yeah. What kind of sex do you want to have? Um, how mm-hmm. do you want to raise your children? Who should make the money? Who should cook the food? Who should take out the trash? Who should be responsible for um, buying a house, choosing an apartment? Like, you name it. There's mm-hmm. all of these elements of relationships that are very real that we that don't go way think about. Who sticks who with what thing? In yeah, because if parts. you just are going to boil monogamy down to you're only having sex with one person... If that's all that you have for the foundation of a relationship, you don't have much. Yeah. Like, that's that's what, you know, like, animals can do that. There are animals that can be sexually monogamous. And that's not, to me, what monogamy as, like, a relationship and, like, value really is. And hmm. And so when you think about monogamy in that way and, like, think of it as a continuum or like a diversity of monogamy and you know some people are married and they don't even live together or they one of them travels a lot and they're barely home or you've got military couples where somebody yeah. doesn't come home for a couple of years like yeah. and that's still considered a monogamous marriage and I'm like that is nothing like the relationship that I had or the one that you have right and so recognizing that I think is really important in just it's not that we have, not normalizing polyamory, but kind of neutralizing people's relationships, decisions. And how crazy it is, and we should just not talk about it because it's dirty or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And... I like that. You know, I... So I feel like just understanding that really helps because then, like, when we were having conversations about how we wanted things to look and what we were going to do... It didn't have to be this way or that way. And that's just what we were more comfortable with was just experimentation. Yeah. For better or worse. Like, who's to say? I don't know. Was it a good idea or not? I'm not judging it either. Because 
it's kind of that is what it is, right? These are the decisions we made because we were curious about this. We wanted to know this. We wanted to find out this. And Oh, okay. So you're so so if someone comes up to you and says, Your marriage is over because you decided to have a polyamorous relationship, you might say, Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. But yeah, and if decisions. somebody's like, Would you rec like would you recommend having an open relationship or did it improve your marriage or destroy it or anything like that? I'm like, I have no recommendation. Like none. I can tell you my experience. I can tell you my story. I can give you some advice. Um, I'm like, my first advice is get yourself educated on STDs and when you should be tested, how you should be tested, what you should be tested for and what you should absolutely demand the other person be tested for. And always use condoms. Next question. Like, when you think about open relationships, like, those are the things that people aren't talking about. And when you live in a culture where monogamy is normal, sex before marriage is shamed, and there's not a large population of single adults, like, mostly there's, like, college kids and families in this general area. You know, you don't have... A huge like adult sex singles. in the city singles culture. No, and it was really challenging for me actually to find like clear resources on sexual health. And I'm like, I don't want to read a website that was written to a 14 year old. Like, <laughs> I want to be spoken to as an adult. And you know, I wanted, I like that's something that I feel I'll probably create something at some point in the future because. People really need to think about those things and take them seriously. But that was like that was an area where it was like, yeah, everybody's thinking about all of these relationship things, and I'm going. I just couldn't find good resources about what my standards and practices should be when it came to sexual health. Um, and, and what so, you determined was always kind of. I got pretty militant about it um, with what I required of my partner and I would say I want these tests I want to see the results printed from your doctor's office oh dang recent tests is that normal um I just stopped caring if it was normal good for you because there were people that would oh if somebody says oh I'm clean (laughs) no I'm sorry but we're talking about my physical health potentially for the rest of my life my only body the only body I'm gonna have so, yeah, there's, like, a few that you can, a few STDs you can cure with antibiotics, but, like, that's no security to me. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I got to the point where I was extremely militant. Like, this is my standard. This is my expectation. And I figured if someone's not adult enough to handle those standards, then there's no way that I want to have a relationship with them. If they can't handle going and getting their arm poked for a little bit of blood and peeing in a cup, how are they going to emotionally support me, communicate with me with a high EQ, be able to understand the dynamic of my whole life and family and work and everything? Mm -hmm. It's like, you need to get your shit together. Like, that, it was just like, nope, non-negotiable. But that took time for me to understand. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, like, I was still being safe, but I wasn't quite that, like, cut and dry like nope it's gonna be this way or no way no way um and so the like all of those negotiations had to happen with my partner and I first what are our standards gonna be so that 
you know, because neither of us had ever had to think about that before. Right. So now if we're both going to be sexually active with other people, how does that factor into, you know, our connection? And it is <laughs> really complex. Definitely gave you a lot to talk about. Yeah. Lots. Um, and so, oh, like... Do you think it brought all that brought you closer together or farther um, apart? Or I think that, like, through the whole process... And I won't speak for him, uh, but I would say for myself, what it did was, you know, we got married so young. Neither of us had ever dated anyone else before that. Like, I mean, high school dating, but not like adult. I have a life now and I'm dating somebody. And we'd become such different people in that 10 years. And not like people that know us probably wouldn't be like, oh my God, yeah, you're both completely different people. But What I mean by that is what we now want in the next decade of our lives Mm. is vastly different. So the lifestyle that I want to live, the career I want to have, the, you know, just the, the future that I see, like it doesn't mesh. And I think in the process of having other relationships, it's brought up things between the two of us where it was like, you know, I wanted things from him that he just didn't, like, it didn't feel authentic for him to give me mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, and for right or wrong, better or worse, again, where it's like, I, you know, I'm always going to think that I'm more right. And I'm always going to think that I'm the better person or whatever. And he's probably going to think the same thing or maybe not. Like, it's just like, we all are going to have our own biases and what we bring to the table and think about the other person And it is, you know, my partner had a very different experience of dating. He had one relationship for like four months and then one relationship that is still going on. And I had a relationship with that first person for about six weeks. And then I just dated. Like, I really wasn't in a relationship. I'd have like a date with somebody or a couple dates or, you know, a little like month long pseudo relationship and was it like all sex all the time no that's that's another thing it was like really not it sounds Um, so adult stina it's (laughs) yeah i mean it was kind of disappointing that it wasn't oh you wanted all (laughs) sex all the time i was like i'm not even looking for commitment like why can't i find somebody who's like you know interested in the same thing that i want and i just felt like this, does this not apply to men? And then I'm like, oh, I'm intimidating. I'm too emotionally intelligent. I'm just too intelligent all around. And I've I've come to know about myself, whether I'm married or not, I'm a wife. Like, the level of intensity and, like, devotion and commitment that I bring to my life, to anything that I do, hmm. it's like I'm at that level. I'm not here to waste my time or your time or anybody's time. And I'm pretty... I'm pretty intense. Well, 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 but hold on, back up. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure there's guys listening to this podcast that are like, just tell me you just want some sex, and I will give you the sex. But I'm also hearing you say, no, I, I'm looking for a connection or something like that. Like I'm, I'm looking to be deeply cared for and for me to have the opportunity to deeply care for somebody else. That is true. Okay. I would say the f- hilarious thing is that people think 
all men want is sex and that if you just offered them sex, then they would be able to just give you all of the sex, right? Yeah. In my experience, that is not the case because a man who has that mindset like of just kind of isolating sex outside of a relationship at all is somebody that really can't handle responsibility. Like they can't even handle responsibility to follow through on plans. They can't plan their life. Like especially single men from the age of about, well, any, like any young man, but up till the age of about 34 to 36 was like the youngest that I found that guys were like starting to get their heads on relatively straight in my opinion. And you're just not attracted to guys who don't have their head on straight. No, no, because I'm like, I'm a pretty driven, focused, clear person. I don't want dead weight. I don't want somebody who can't. So like, I can't have this dinner with you before we have sex because it's just too boring. Oh, I did have a really boring date. Painfully boring. Painfully boring. Like, so boring that I was like, I don't know how you stand yourself. No joke. No joke. I learned really quickly to get people on the phone on a, off of a dating app. Get someone on the phone and have a phone conversation before a date. So there's a tip to anybody dating or whatever you're doing. Um, talk to someone on the phone. Don't waste an evening going out with somebody that can't like hold a legitimate conversation Um, i know someone who lives out in silicon valley who has uh somebody on fiverr that manages their tinder account for them yes and so but then that they're passed over to him yeah when uh they're filtered like through when there's actually you know a uh hey let's get together yeah but you're saying take it a step further and use a screening process oh yeah for sure all right. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Yeah. So the after dating for a while, I was like, yeah, so this has been fun and all, but I want a relationship. Like I was craving real intimacy and somebody that I was tired of dating like four people at a time. It was really just, it was kind of boring and exhausting and like too much to keep up on. And I felt like and did you find yourself like saying, I'm actually, I'm looking for a community. I'm looking for a relationship. I'm not looking for dates. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted commitment and like, it wasn't like I needed somebody to sign up to marry me. Right. Because I was like, well, but I'm stability. already married, but I want, You don't yeah, want to be constantly in the, so tell me about yourself stage. You want to be like, um, yeah, like, <laughs> past that. let's, yeah. And like, let's do life together Hmm. let's have experiences together and you know like my kids weren't meeting people that I was dating um they were meeting my former spouse's significant other because she was a consistent like stable part of life and so um in the grand scheme of things she um moved in with us and I won't go into all of those details uh because it gets pretty murky to explain everything but When, you know, there was just, there was this, there were many shifts that happened and eventually it just became pretty apparent to my partner and I that like, where, where is this going for us Mm. as a couple? Like, what do we really want out of our relationship? And we were trying to work on some things that weren't going so well, like our intimacy was not working and hadn't worked. Honestly, I think hadn't worked before the relationship was open and we just 
when you're in a marriage and you think this is my relationship for life, you just do everything you can to try and make it work. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we were at. And then we kind of found out like, oh, we're just rather incompatible. <laughs> like, this is why it's been so much work and why we both feel like relatively unfulfilled in this area is because like we don't even want the same things. Like what I want is completely different than what he wants. And so it's really hard to change someone on that deep of a level. And I we both just kind of came to that like, oh, like this isn't really this isn't really working, is it? Um hmm. And so, and that still didn't necessarily lead us directly to like, okay, let's get divorced and this is what's going to happen. Um, that all kind of came with a little bit of time after that kind of... Being open and honest with each yeah, other. Yeah, I would call it like that was like our separation. Like uh, there okay. was an emotional separation. Like just there was a sexual separation. Yeah, we're not, we're not finding a community with the other person. Yeah, there wasn't fulfillment there. And so... You know, all of the, the details of moving into divorce and what that looked like is all, like, it almost feels, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but inconsequential, where it was like, right. that's just a part of, like, the next steps. A then. legal, uh, the legal process for what has already happened in our relationship kind of thing. Yeah. And, you okay. know, and we, we kind of had differing ideas about, like, how we wanted that to happen because... Okay. We had thought, like, we'll be a polyamorous family and, like, there will just be three adults in the household and we'll just continue to raise the kids all together. And um, and it's it was hard for me to not be good at polyamory. Like, okay. to feel like this is Or at isn't, least that style of Yeah, like, this isn't working for me and I'm going to be okay with that now because I'd gone from monogamy into this whole foray of a polyamory and then found that I just really wanted one person. Okay. So and the, so, the, so it was a three-person relationship. Two people were totally okay with a three-person relationship. And one, being you, was like, yeah, just, just this doesn't work for me. Yeah, that's the simplest way, I think, to explain it. And um, it wasn't because I didn't like the other people. And it wasn't because it was terrible like right. there wasn't um that wasn't what it was you weren't but i had this desire like i had this desire from the bedroom of... <laughs> and being overcome with 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 frustration and and i mean there's some heartbreak for sure, sure where it's like dealing with you know my partners with someone else and not with me and yeah um there was some pretty deep and intense moments where i felt like I was just completely not getting what I wanted. Mm. And for whose fault that is, it's like, you know, was I not pursuing what I wanted and asking enough? Was he not pursuing me enough? Like, and we would always end up at that standoff with each other. Like, you're not doing enough for me and you're not doing enough for me. And like, I personally just felt, always felt misunderstood. And I think it's because our desires are so drastically different that it just didn't harmonize. Um, so with all of that and like my desire to have a relationship, I'm thinking, who the hell am I going to find who's like married woman with two kids, 
lives with her husband and his girlfriend. Sign me up for that. Like, I was like, where and how and when is that going to happen? But I just had this like overwhelming sense that, um, how are we on time? Way over. I'm, I'm fine. Okay. Um, the, uh, we your wife to, has my kids. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I, we have to vacate this place okay. in probably like 20 minutes okay. tops. That's fine. Um, I just wanted to check. Okay. So, um, I, I just felt like that was so crazy out there, but then I also had this like sense like, oh, but there is someone. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, that romantic like sentiment that you hear people say and you're like, Oh, that's pretty. Like, that's cute. Also, like, like a pretty powerful litmus test. Like, well, I mean, there's not going to be very many people that meet that bar. <laughs> I so know, right? that kind of helps <laughs> trim the fat. <laughs> um, and so I had this, like, there is someone. Mm-hmm. I f- could, like, feel it in my bones. There's someone out there. And mm. I was like, well, if there is and he's real, I guess I'll start writing him letters. Mm. And... I'm writing, starting to write these letters, like, it wasn't every night, but probably every two or three nights I'd write a letter. And I got starting to this to place Starting to connect of, with this person that yeah. you haven't met yet. And oh. it was like, I was writing them as if he was, like, the everything that I wanted. Mm. Like, I was like, I mean, if you're writing letters to an imaginary person, they might as well be, like, fan-fucking-tastic in every sure, way. Like, sure. don't write, I'm not going to write letters to a mediocre man, like... Right. So I'm just writing these like really like intense, like elaborate letters. And I start and as I'm writing them, I'm actually questioning my I mean, questioning my sanity for one for sure. But also like, am I writing these letters to myself, like to my own like inner masculine and just like connecting to a new part of me? Mm. And I was like, well, either way, I think they're worth writing. So I'll just keep writing them. Right. And again, this is like that part. Of I mean, me even if it's just uh, catharsis. Why not? Exactly. And I was like, it's just another experiment where I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And as I'm writing them, I'm like, I'm going to be writing these letters for like eight years before I find this man. Like, I'm like, it's going to be forever. And it was about a month later that I met the man that I'm still with now. And it was not very long into that, like, meeting him that I was like, oh, my God, like, the letters are for you. Really? Yeah. Wow. How could you be so sure? I have no idea. It sounds completely like ridiculous Was because it if love I hear somebody else sight? say that, I'm like, yeah, like good luck with that. Was it love at first sight? Was it like um, he touched you and there was electric? It was pretty energy? electric. Okay. It was pretty intense. Um, he and later then you told said, "Hey, by I, the way, I have two kids." I live with my husband and his girlfriend. And he was like... He knew that that. all on our first phone (laughs) call. I mean, and that was the other thing. The whole time I was dating, anyone that I saw... You were very open. I was completely honest. Completely open. I'm married. Like, it's all, you know, consensual. Like, everybody knows. I'm not hiding anything. Um, Did you have people walk away because of that? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, people that, like... I don't know, in general, men are just flaky on dating apps. So I don't know how much of it was because of that and how much of it was just the nature of online dating. Okay. It's hard to say. Um, but I think that what what about that actually intimidated more people was the level of honesty. 
had nothing to hide. I mean, as listeners will note and have <laughs> noted already, yeah. you are wonderfully open. Yeah. So people are pretty shocked and intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had a friend over for dinner last night. It was the first time that we've seen each other outside of like a coffee shop. Okay. And, you know, she was like, I don't know if this is too personal a question. And she'd like ask me something and I'm like, come on, like try harder, you know? And then she'd be like, this might be TMI. And she'd tell me, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to need more detail than that. Like, come on. And so there's just like this raw honesty that I appreciate and that I like to have. And what I've realized is talking about my past doesn't intimidate me because I choose to live a life that's in integrity. So whatever I choose, I have to own that choice. And whether I like it or not, and whether I'm proud of it or not, it's part of my story and it's part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And if you want to make me really uncomfortable, the questions to ask me are about my future. Mm. What are you going to do in this world? What are you going to create? Where are you going to go? What's life going to be in 10 years? Like, you know, that, that is where I'm like, Oh, shit. Because then it's like, now I have to own my capabilities, my creativity, and my power, and, like, whoa, 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 really... Whoa. I, so it sounds like, because you also said earlier that you want somebody who's got their head on straight, who knows how to plan their future and see ahead and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But now you're like, it's petrifying to talk about my future. Oh, yeah, and that's why my relationship with him works is because he is equally as intense and honest and forward. Like I love to look forward myself. Okay. It's just more confronting when someone is like, you know, I've written a book now about if somebody is like, when are you going to write that book? When are you going to get on that stage, Stina? I see. Like every mentor I've ever had, the first thing they tell me is like, I see you on stage. I'm like, Oh fuck. You know, it's that like, that moment of like I have to face the thing that I know that I'm supposed like that I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. and now I have to overcome the fears and the insecurities and like it's such a more rich experience. But like talking about my past, I'm like ah, we can talk about that. I'll answer all of the questions, and that's what most people are afraid to talk about mm-hmm. is the experiences that they've had and you know, the desires that they have and the questions that they have and the pain that they've experienced and the pleasure they've experienced. And it's like, I think that when we get comfortable talking about those things and why I'm probably comfortable doing it, it's because then that sets the stage to ask those bigger questions, to look forward, to look at the life that you want to create instead of looking at the past to inform Hmm. what your life can be. That got real philosophical real quick. (laughs) I really like it because what it comes back to is, you know, something a lot deeper than just polyamory or the, the, the lenses or, or upbringings or biases that we have. Mm -hmm. It's like you are now, um, confronting who you were, Mm -hmm. who you are being challenged by mentors and it sounds like by your significant other to become yeah and who you are now and um as 
as someone who says they embrace Buddhism, I mean, that is one of the, from what I understand, at least one of the foundational teachings of Buddhism is right now is what it's about. Um, And so, I mean, that's, that's really cool how like we had this really big conversation about all these different things, Mm -hmm. Um, like your life story kind of up until this moment. And we still (laughs) came back to this like deep but simple truth mm-hmm. that you were saying. Say it again. Really oh good. my gosh. Which, well, they can rewind because I don't know how to say it again. Okay. That's the great thing about conversation and like real communication. Like we're talking about everything that I do is about communication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've written my own book and now as a copywriter, like what I'm pulling out of other people is like all the past. You know, mm-hmm. I'm pulling out their stories so that they can connect with other people so that they can like grow forward and so that they can change other people's lives and it's like it's really cool right now to watch my work bring in all of these different parts of who i am and allow that to encourage other people to speak and to write and to sell really which sales is that could be a whole other conversation, but like when we're selling, we're, we're relating to people. We're having exchange. And when we're having conversations, we're relating to people. We're having exchange. And what I've given you right now, my time is more valuable than any money that I could give you and vice versa. Give me a lot of time. It's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, let me know where to send the invoice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Santa Claus <laughs> at the North Pole. <laughs> But, you know, we when when it really comes down to it, that intimacy with other people and, like, really letting other people be human and then being human yourself and not getting caught up in what society says we should be um, or the shame that we feel about things that have happened in the past. And, like, when you asked if I regretted not going to school, like, how we process those things, how we change those stories in our mind... And how we live our future based on that changes everything. Um, so um, the uh, I guess to wrap up, um, you if people want to learn more about you, can they do that? How do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to stinamarie.com. You can find me on Facebook, Stina Marie. Okay. And um, if they go to my website, they can get the book that we've mentioned a couple of times. It's called Worship Her. The ebook's free on my website, so you can grab that. I also wrote actually an erotic poetry book. Okay. What during the year of the open marriage? It's in chronological order. Okay. So it's rather vulnerable to. It was rather vulnerable to publish. I didn't edit it. It's very raw. It's also an ebook that's available, so that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, and they can just find out more about me and what I'm up to there. Cool. And as we as we end, the last question I have for you is, when your son and daughter get to the place where it's time and it's right for them, um, you are very open and honest with them. What are you going to tell them about all this, about their origin story? Like, and- well, now I get to hand them Michael Jeffries. <laughs> 
podcast. <laughs> oh, there you go. The, yeah. I, I would say this is the most comprehensive uh, audio recording of my life story to date. You know, cool. start to I, start to It's a huge compliment. To me. Yeah. Well done. Very well done. Well, it's a great story. And um, as far I as really what I would tell it. my... It's funny when you said tell my kids. Sure. I thought, suppose I would ask them what they want to know. And that's what I would tell them. Hmm. Because that's, to me, like, in parenting, it's like whatever they're curious about, I answer the question to a satisfactory and like comprehension appropriate level and then I say do you understand that and do you have any more questions Hmm. and I've kind of adopted the motto that if I did it and I'm not proud enough of it to tell anyone else like if I'm that afraid of something that I did then that's something I need to deal with not something that I need to hide from them so even if it's something I don't like or that I'm not proud of, I would prefer that my kids hear it from me and not from somebody else. <laughs> I like that. Well, thank you for your time, Stina. Yeah, it's thank been you. Really fun to hear the story and be able to ask you all these questions. Yeah, um, and I really value your friendship. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, that's it. Dude, you you are awesome. Thank Thank you. you so much. A Simple Life podcast is sponsored by Lem's Shoes. At Lem's Shoes, their philosophy is, instead of trying to create the next footwear fad, we dedicate ourselves to designing with the foot in mind above all else. Everything we do is done with intention, and we will never stop our endless exploration to keep your feet happy and healthy every step of the way. I've been wearing Lem's shoes for about four or five years. I was introduced to them by a former boss of mine, Matt Falmar. What up, Matt? Still love those Lem's shoes you gave to me or you told me about. Um, I love Lem's because they're super comfortable. They they don't lack styling i mean i wear them because it's like wearing the most comfortable shoe in the world no matter which one i buy um even their dress up dressy type shoes or at least business casual shoes are still comfortable to wear um and they're uh, yeah i just i really like them i think they're uh well made they match my sense of style they also kind of match my philosophy which is my body knows what's best for it and lems is a they're minimalist shoes the type of style that makes it feel like your foot is actually barefoot on the ground uh, with just a little padding or or rubber to to protect the sole of your foot. That's the idea behind their shoes. Anyways, um, if you'd like to support our podcast, then uh, in the uh, show notes, you can click the affiliate link to Lem's Shoes. That'll just send you to their website um, and it allows them to track that you came through this podcast and if you buy anything um, then they'll give me a little bit of a commission for sending you there i really like them i think they're great i i think other people should buy them too um, but if you don't want to give me a commission just go to lemshoes.com without clicking the affiliate link and i won't get anything okay bye oh one more thing <laughs> 
Uh, our podcast is also uh, very grateful to have Stina Marie on the podcast today as our guest. Uh, she uh, teaches people how to write uh, marketing copy. Um, she works with a lot of entrepreneurs doing that. Uh, and I'm sure that if you're interested in her services uh, or the books that she mentioned she has um, written, if you'd like to buy those or use her services at all, you should really check her out. StinaMarie.com is the web address. StinaMarie.com. All right.